welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Touchdown Bombers! Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on CGOB 680 in Winnipeg, Bob Irving. Bob, thanks for being on today's episode. I'm really excited to talk Blue Bomber football with you. Yeah, my pleasure, Matthias. So things have been a little more laid back with the CFL not having happened last year. What are some things that you've been able to get up to or enjoy with a lot more free time without the Bombers having played in 2020? Yeah, well, last year uh, when there was no season, when they decided to cancel the season, I think it was in July or August when they made it final, I've lost track now, but I played more golf than I've played in a long time. And I love to play golf. And when football season is on, I don't have as much time for golf as I'd like, because, you know, I'm at practice every day and it kind of eats your day up to a large degree. So I played uh, a lot more golf. We have a cottage uh, about an hour and 20 minutes north and east of Winnipeg. And so we got to spend a little more time there than we'd normally would in the summer. So all things considered, you know, I miss the football, obviously, but uh, I quite enjoyed it. It's the first time, you know, since I think 74, when I started doing the Bomber games, that I've had a summer off, you know, a summer where I had time to myself and, and I quite enjoyed it. But I certainly did miss doing the Bomber games and watching the Canadian Football League because that's a real passion of mine. Absolutely. And I think golf is one of the things that so many people have started to do more of because of COVID. And since it's able to allow for flexibility with physical distancing and also just something new to pick up, I actually yeah. work here in Toronto at, at a golf course and have worked at St. Charles and Winnipeg and have worked at uh, many golf courses before. And so I think that that's one of the most enjoyable activities that any sporty person can get up to, especially in the world of football. You see that there's many retired players that love taking up the game because it is really easy on the body, especially as uh, as you would know, when players get older and they get banged yeah. up, they don't have to worry about overexerting themselves. And obviously they don't have to be Tiger Woods and or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it's a really enjoyable activity. And it's gr- great yeah. to hear that you're able to, to enjoy golf for the first time in a summer in over 40 years. Yeah, I played 30 or 35 games, I think. And normally I maybe play 12 or 14, but all the golf courses in Winnipeg and the surrounding area said the same thing last summer that they had more, they put more rounds through uh, than they had in, in, in maybe forever in most of the cases. So you're right. A lot of people, when uh, we were shut down from doing our normal activities and when people lost their jobs or couldn't work for whatever reason, they just, a lot of them went out and played golf. Have you ever played in any tournaments for fun or with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or any fundraiser events? Oh, yeah, I've played in uh, lots of those. The Bombers used to have an annual golf tournament. They don't anymore, but I've played in all of those. When Keith Kachuk was a member of the Winnipeg Jets, he came back every summer and had a golf tournament, and I was on the organizing committee for that. Matt Dunnigan, when he played quarterback for the Bombers in the 90s, hosted a golf tournament, and I was on the organizing committee for that. So I've played in tons of uh, charity and fundraising golf tournaments, and uh, they're always a lot of fun. You can spend a lot of time on the course. I know sometimes we've been out there for six or seven hours in these scramble formats, but on a nice warm summer day in Manitoba, eh, there's not a lot of better things to be doing. (laughs) I got to ask who in all your years of playing in tournaments and playing with bombers and jets is the best golfer you've ever seen from, from a professional athlete perspective. Uh, You know, 
I played in the Bomber Tournament a couple of years ago with Weston Dressler, and he was really good. Now, Matt Nichols, uh, formerly of the Bombers, was a real good golfer, too. I've been told that. Anyway, I've never seen Matt play or played with him. But I did play with Weston Dressler, and he could hit the golf ball. And he's not a very big guy, but he hit it a long way. Uh, I can't remember what he shot that day. Well, we were in a scramble, but very impressive. I think if he, you know, played every day and worked at it, he'd be pretty darn good. So he kind of sticks out. I don't know why, but I just had this feeling. I was like, I feel like you're going to say a quarterback or receiver because <laughs> it's just something I think maybe with watching NFL guys like Tony Romer or Fitzgerald that yeah. play in tournaments, you see that they have a lot of the similar qualities of athleticism and also kickers and punters too. You can never count them out in the game of golf, but it's so fascinating to see that duality of athletic ability between pro football players or hockey players and golf. And sometimes they're a lot better than you'd think to be considering it's maybe not their main sport. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's, there's a few, most of them are good athletes. So they're, they're good or, you know, at least decent in everything they try. I have played, I think many years ago, I can't even remember the name of the player, but a guy who played for the Jets back in the WHA days in the seventies, I played with him in a, a pro-am tournament and he was terrible. He might be the worst golfer among the athletes that I've ever played with, but you're right. Most of them are pretty good golfers and they don't get a lot of time to play a lot of them. So, you know, you can think about how much better they'd be if they played more. So since this is the first summer you've had off in several decades, I'm sure you've had a lot of time too to reflect on your career and working with the Bombers, games, players, as many other fans, I'm sure, have joined in on that. And in some of this reflection, what are some of the things in more recent years that you would say stick out as notable memories within the last five to five to 10 years in your career? And also just from the perspective of enjoying watching the bombers. Well, 2019 Matthias will always stick out for me because they ended that long drought and, and won the great cup. And, and that was the culmination of all the great work that Wade Miller, Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea did in, uh, recreating the culture here in Winnipeg in the football team. And you hear that word culture a lot, uh, but I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it grow. Uh, when Michael Shea came here in 2014, the team was really in disarray. There was no cohesiveness. Uh, you know, there was no morale, but Michael Shea and Kyle Walters went to work on that right from the get-go, making sure they had the right people in the organization from top to bottom, not just the players, but the coaches as well, the support staff. And you could see it build over a period of years. You know, the first two years, they didn't make the playoffs. And then they made the playoffs and they got progressively better each year. And that fourth year in a row, they made the playoffs under Mike O'Shea in 2019. And of course, uh, they won the Grey Cup. And that run through to the Grey Cup win in 19, where they beat Calgary in Calgary in the semifinal, beat Regina in Saskatchewan. In, this, in the final, and then won the Grey Cup in Calgary against a favored Hamilton team. That run was really quite remarkable. And so that's, uh, that's one of the memories that really screams out at me because it's so recent. Uh, and then I go back, I probably go back to 84 when they had a 22-year Grey Cup drought before they won the Grey Cup in 1984. And that was a great, great team that they had with Cal Murphy as the coach uh, just an outstanding team. They played Hamilton in the Great Cup, too, and were heavily favorite and won going away. So there's all kinds of them. You know, there's tons of them that come to mind, individual and team memories. Uh, but certainly 2019 sticks with me. And even though it's, gosh, we're pushing a year and a half since they won that Great Cup game now, 
uh, it's still a just an incredible memory and, and the celebration after when they had a parade here in Winnipeg and uh, it was just uh, incredible the people that came downtown and celebrated the end of this long Grey Cup drought. So, you know, that's a period I'll never forget, but there's lots of others too. And for the perspective of someone like myself who was born in the mid 90s, I never had been alive to see the Bombers even win the Grey Cup. And, <laughs> yeah. and I went down there with my friends and we watched the game in person and it just, it, it was so magical. I couldn't even believe that it would, that it was real. And now obviously recency bias can always play a part in memorable games and runs, but in all the years you've been watching the Bombers, would you say that 2019's playoff run was the most remarkable in franchise history? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and here's why they lost their quarterback, Matt Nichols during the season. And then Chris Strebler uh, was bothered by an injury that really shouldn't have been. I mean, he's, he had a broken ankle for heaven's sakes. He probably shouldn't have been playing. And then they acquired Zach Kolaris late in the season in that trade. And we didn't know how that was going to manifest itself. We knew that they had a, a veteran quarterback if they needed him that uh, they could put in there and feel confident with. But the last game of the regular season, Kolaris went in and started because Strebler was too banged up to play, and he led them to victory over Calgary at home. And that was kind of the springboard. You know, from that game, they just elevated their play. And I think the confidence in the team just grew enormously with the game that Kolaris played in that last regular season game when they beat Calgary on a last-minute field goal by Justin Medlock. And it just carried on from there. So, yeah, of all the years I've been covering them, and it's hard to remember them all in details because there's so many of them, but I can't remember a better kind of run at the end of the season. A hundred percent. And I think there was a, a statistic that I saw that the Bombers had never, ever made it to or won the Great Cup when they were a third seed team in the West. And they had yeah. done it in 2019. I remember when they made the trade for Kalaros, my buddy had said to me, He's like, man, they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle with this trade. You know, the playoffs almost look like they're out of reach. And then, like you said, their confidence just grew enormously with yeah. each and every game. And I know that there's been a lot of great quarterbacks that have played in Winnipeg in the last 20 to 25 years. And some that don't get as much respect maybe as they should with mm -hmm. the likes of, you know, Kevin Glenn, Kahari Jones, Buck Pierce, but, and, and especially Matt Nichols too, but Zach Kalaros, even though he's only played in four games so far, I think because of the amazing run that he had in such a short amount of time, won the most four, the most important four game winning streak in team history. I think that he deserves always a very high amount of notoriety for what he did on such short notice with Paul Apolis's offense, yeah. getting to meet all the guys just like that. And I, I really couldn't believe it. Like when, when they first made the trade, what were your thoughts? Like, did you really think they could do it? Well, at that time, they, they were kind of struggling a bit because Straveler was playing hurt. Uh, Nichols was out, you know, for good. We knew he wasn't coming back. So they had Sean McGuire and Straveler as their quarterbacks. And, yeah, I think there was concern among the fans and among everybody that, you know, I don't know if this team can go all the way with this quarterbacking, and that's not to pick on Straveler, but he hadn't proven himself at the same level that these other quarterbacks had. And the bomber management felt the same way. That's why they made the trade for Kolaris at the, at the very last second before the trade deadline. And again, when they brought him in, uh, Mike O'Shea said, look, uh, Strebler's our guy. We're going to ride him uh, as long as we can. And then the injury forced them really to play Kolaris in that final game. And yeah, I was, 
I knew about Calaris's history and I knew how good he was uh, three or four or five years ago in Hamilton before that injury knocked him out during the season. He was as good as there was in the league. Uh, and so I, I had great respect for his talent. But here's what happened. He fit in so seamlessly to the bomber offense, into the clubhouse, into the culture here. That was the key thing. And you've seen evidence of that now in their offseason after the Great Cup when they decided to stick with Kolaris and let Matt Nichols go. And that was an agonizing decision for Mike O'Shea because Matt Nichols has been terrific here. He's meant a lot to the organization, played a huge role in their turnaround from those early days I talked about when Mike O'Shea came here. That was painful for Coach O'Shea to make that decision, but that's how much they believed in Kolaris and how much he proved to them in the few weeks and games he had played in 2019. 100% and a tough decision that I don't think anyone would have wanted to have made in that bomber organization, but no. Michael Shea had to make it because you look right. at what Nichols had done. I mean, I know the Claros obviously won the great cup and all, all those things, but essentially his play when he took over for Drew Willie in 2016 saved the franchise because yeah. had he not gone in there after Willie threw the pick six against Calgary, I think it was in week five and had he not turned it around to give them their first win in Edmonton, since the Milt Stiegel miracle catch, I don't think that Winnipeg would be where it is today. And Michael Shea might not have gotten as much time as we would have hoped to have proven that he could be the one to help turn the organization around with Kyle Walters and Wade Miller. So as much as it sucks to have seen Matt Nichols be let go, I think there will always be such a, a warm place in the hearts of Winnipeg fans for Matt Nichols for the reason that his play and him helping elevate the team and being that key glue yeah. for the offense is something that can never be taken away from his legacy in Winnipeg. No, and it won't be. And Mike O'Shea will be the first guy to stand on a, on a podium and, and tell you that story. And it's interesting. You talk about seminal moments in recent years, that game in Edmonton. And that's one I'll never forget where uh, Drew Willie had really been struggling and, and uh, Michael Shea decided to start Matt Nichols and the Bombers were one and four at that point. And there were all sorts of rumblings about what's going to happen here if they don't get it turned around. And they went to Edmonton and won that game and Nichols played great. And that was a huge turning point, as you point out in the, the way the, the franchise kind of got things going in the right direction. So yeah, Matt's role will never be forgotten by those of us who, you know, watched the club through those years. And even him being able to help the Bombers win the Labor Day Classic in Regina in the last ever game at Old Mosaic Stadium and the first time that they'd won the Labor Day Classic, not in Saskatchewan because Drew Willie helped them win that game in the first in week one of 2015, but winning the Labor Day Classic, I think to me was one of the marquee games that said, okay, Matt Nichols is for real. Justin Medlock's field goals, he split the uprights with zeros on the clock. I really started to believe that this team was destined to win the Grey Cup. Now, maybe not right then, then and there that year. And I honestly thought that 2016 and the 2018 teams are some of the, the, the highest teams in my mind that I think should have won the great cup that didn't for the bombers. But I knew that it was close. And I'm sure that you might've felt the same way when they got the monkey off their back, so to speak with beating Saskatchewan on labor day. Sure. And it, of course, as you know, it's never easy to win that Liberty game. And in recent times, the bombers haven't won it very often. There was one stretch where, I can't recall exactly now, but they went years uh, where they lost that game. And 
that game meant a lot to it meant a lot to the fans, obviously, of both the provinces. But it, it means a lot to both teams because they understand the hype and and how important it is. And that that was a there's no question that was a big big win. You know, I think what held the Bombers back too in those years you talk about before they won the thing in 2019 is just how tough the teams in the West were. You had Calgary with Bo Levi riding high every year. Edmonton had Mike Riley. I mean, it was hard to win the West. You had to, you know, you had to play super and, and then maybe get a break or two along the way. And uh, so I, it was just a gradual growth to 2019. But uh, yeah, you, that win on Labor Day and there's a lot of other different things you could point to over those years where, you know, the club just grew sort of bit by bit by bit. And Matt Nichols, boy, he played a big, big role in that. Never, never forget it. I'll never forget the role he played. 100%. And it's so interesting the way that the carousel of the CFL works in terms of players and coaches. And as a younger fan myself, I actually wasn't as familiar with who Mike O'Shea was and that he was a Hall of Fame player and won several great several great cups and was just absolutely fantastic for the Toronto Argonauts. And as soon as I started to learn a bit more about his history as a player, it really made me appreciate more everything he's done for Winnipeg because he came in as a super young head coach in similar fashion to how Orlando Steinhauer is now in Hamilton. And he's on the verge of being able to lead them to their first great cup in forever. That someone who is a fantastic player in the CFL could also yeah. be a fantastic head coach and talk a bit about the growth you've seen in Mike O'Shea from his time as a player to him being a coach in Winnipeg. Yeah, I, uh, I've spent a lot of time around Mike O'Shea. We do a weekly hour long calling show during football season. And I think I've got to know him pretty well. I have enormous respect for him. Of all the coaches I've been around uh, over the years covering the Blue Bombers, he's right at or near the top of the list. Uh, he's a very smart guy. And he's always searching for something to make him better. He never feels like he's got it figured out. Uh, he's a great listener. You know, he doesn't have all the answers. He'd be the first to tell you that. He defers to his coaches quite often and lets them do what they want to do as long as he's confident and feels it's the right thing to do. He handles the players as well as any coach could. And I think Orlando Steinauer is cut out of the same cloth. Uh, Matthias, you know, they both have their, their players' coaches but the players understand that there's a line they can't cross, right? And you'll never see Mike O'Shea, or I've never seen it. I'm behind the scenes and in, in locker rooms. I'm, I'm sure occasionally he's kind of tore a strip off them, but that's not his style. He, he's a guy who just says, hey, fellas, here's the deal. This is how we're going to do it here. This is how we're going to do it here. And you either pull on the same rope or you're not going to be here. And if you don't want to be here, let me know and we'll send you somewhere else. And I just think he's ha he handles the players beautifully. And I tell you what, we get a chance to talk to players kind of quietly on the side and all the rest of it. I've never heard one player say a bad word about Mike O'Shea and the way he handles the team. Are they always happy with their playing time or their role? Probably not. Uh, Cause there's what 50 players you have to satisfy, but uh, no, he's done a, he's done a marvelous job. I think his growth as a coach is phenomenal. I really do. A hundred percent. And even from watching as a fan and then getting more into the analytics and really deep behind the scenes of how he's quietly built a super impenetrable culture in Winnipeg. You look at other members of his coaching staff and how they've really bought in and the growth you've seen from Buck Pierce, from his role as a running backs coach to then working under Paul Apolise. Paul Apolise's return, which I think was one of the greatest comeback stories I've yeah. seen 
for a coach in Winnipeg. You know, he was with the team in the early 2000s and then he was yeah. there in 2011 and they weren't able to get it done. And then he comes back as the offensive coordinator and is able to just call a masterful series of playoff games as well as throughout the entire season and really just bring it together. And, and another person that comes to mind too is Richie Hall. I think that he is one of the most underrated coaches on the entire Bombers staff and with what the defense was able to do in all of 2019, especially the playoffs, I think that he deserves an enormous amount of credit for what he's done with that, with the, with the defense. Yeah. And one thing I'll say about that, Matthias is Michael Shea is very loyal, uh, almost loyal to a fault, but he stuck with Richie Hall in those early years when Richie was a defensive coordinator, when the wolves were howling for a change at that position, the bombers were giving up, more yards than they probably should have, more points than they wanted to give up. And of course, it fell at Richie's feet. Now, the fact that he didn't have maybe enough good players is uh, something that coaches can't use as an excuse because they're always answerable. Richie's a terrific coach. You look at his resume, and people sometimes forget all the things he's accomplished as a player and as a coach. This great cup win was, I think, his third as a coordinator. Uh, He's had great success but he has a way of doing things. He has a way of playing defense. And Mike O'Shea stood behind him all the way. And he said, what Richie's doing is good. We will win with it. And they did. The last four years, the Bombers have had a winning record. Uh, You know, they won the Grey Cup in 2019. You can't find a lot of flaws in the way the team has played. And Richie Hall has been a key component of that. And kudos to Mike O'Shea. Again, this is just the way he functions. He stuck with Richie because he knew that Richie would get it done. A hundred percent. And when you see what the defense was able to do on the field, especially with some of the key players that the Bombers brought in, you look at Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat, you look at Adam Big Hill, Brandon Alexander, the list goes on. Like I could sit here and list the entire defense. They played so outstanding. And I think Willie Jefferson was, was just the, like, he wasn't the the reason why the defense all of a sudden became good, but he was that final piece that they needed just to get over the hump and to really start to click on all cylinders. Cause you could really see his chemistry, Jackson, Jeff Coat, the bookends throughout the playoffs and throughout the season was just so amazing with how they played, how consistent they were double teams, you name it. It started to get really hard. And I remember people were were kind of knocking on Willie, maybe in the first few games saying, oh, well, he hasn't been that as dominant as he was in Saskatchewan. But when you watch the film, you see him getting doubled. And then once he started to get turn- get that first turnover, and then once he said, how about that smoke? Come on down to Winnipeg. I think once that <laughs> happened in the game against Ottawa in overtime, I think that's when things started to really roll for Willie. And, and you could see in the great cup, he had one of the most amazing performances for a defensive player in recent years. So an interesting story, when they signed Willie as a free agent, he had been a thorn in their side when he played in Saskatchewan and, and was a bit of a showboat, right? You remember the game, I think it was the Banjo Bowl, where he intercepted uh, or recovered a fumble and they kind of backed into the end zone or whatever. And and there were some people in the bomber camp who didn't like him very much. They, they thought he was a bit of a, a bit of a jerk. That's what they thought he was. But the minute he arrived uh, and he, he, again, he fit in, perfectly to the culture. And I think, you know, the way Kyle Walters and and Mike O'Shea uh, deal with the players when they come in is is part of what gets that going. They just explain to them, hey, here's here's how it works here. This is how it works here. And Willie bought in just like that because he liked what he saw. He liked his teammates immediately. He could see what was going on in Winnipeg was really good. 
Uh, and he's an impact player and you can't have enough impact players. And I think that's the word that best describes him. Uh, and he certainly has to be accounted for every game. And if you've got players on your team on offense or defense that the other team has to account for every game, then you've got game breakers. And Willie's a game breaker. He's a delightful character that come on down to Winnipeg thing, uh, you know, grew a life of its own and he's still using it. So, yeah, he was a great addition, really a great addition. Adam Big Hill, another one. You know, they've done some great work in free agency. The guys they've signed have made a tremendous impact uh, on the Bombers. Absolutely. And sometimes you you can't even stop to think about taking any of these players for granted because I remember when Justin Medlock first came to Winnipeg, I was like, oh, I know he's been all over the league. He's been with Toronto and Hamilton, and he was in the NFL. He did so well. And whether they would win or not, they would go into winning streaks or not, he was just such a quietly consistent piece and knowing that he was able to make huge kicks in the playoffs, especially in the West final, it was the ultimate chess match aside from Kenny Lawler's touchdown and John Ryan's single on the first possession for Saskatchewan. It was just a field goal fest. And I mean, you can never, ever, you know, put enough weight on how much you need your kicker to come up clutch when the time is, is nigh. And Justin Medlock did just that to add on to the list of some of the free agents that they brought in and, yeah. and with everything he was able to finally do and show at, on the greatest stage in the great cup for Winnipeg was absolutely fantastic. Cause I know that that was one of the, 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 the grand prizes that he was missing from his trophy cabinet and to see him and Zach Kolaros, two teammates, former teammates from the Hamilton tiger cats get their first rings against Hamilton. That was just definitely a very sweet way for them to, um, for them to to cap off the 2019 season. Well, they call him Money Medlock here, uh, and he made, what, six of seven field goals in the Grey Cup game, and he missed the first one, right? But then he made uh, six in a row, and I over the years he's been here, I can think of any number of games where he's made not just game-winning kicks, he's made a few of those, and it's not that often that a field goal kicker gets to make a game-winning kick, I mean, the last play of the game or anything, but Justin has made key field goals at critical times in games over and over and over again. Michael Shea calls him the best field goal kicker in CFL history. That's, of course, debatable, but he would be right up there, and uh, as you and I speak, it well, we don't know if he's coming back this year or not. He's uh, He's got a job. He lives in California, and it seems like he's ready to move into retirement, although I, I know the Bombers haven't totally ruled him out. But, uh, yeah, he's been uh, he's been money medlock ever since he's been here. 100%. So, Bob, we're getting towards the end of our time on today's episode, so I want to wrap up with a few fun questions and sure. maybe some, some trivia based on your experience, and then we can uh, – and then that will – will be our episode today. So the first question I want to ask you is who's the funniest Winnipeg blue bomber that you've ever had the pleasure of interacting with. Boy, that's a, that's an interesting one. It would probably be Bob Cameron, their longtime punter. And when you say funny, it's not like he's telling jokes all the time or anything, but just his sort of view of the world as a kicker who would come to practice with his overhauls on and he, you know, he'd have uh, dust on his shoulder because he'd been building a house somewhere or something. And Bob always had kind of a humorous view, sometimes serious, but often humorous view of, of everything. Uh, he'd be one of the most sort of delightful guys that you'd ever want to be around and have a chance to interview. Uh, so I'd have to, it's funny, I haven't been asked that for a long time. And I, there's probably one or two that I'm missing, but off the top of my head, I'd say Bob Cameron. It's funny you mention that because he was actually one of the 
people I was able to interview within the first 20 episodes. And I can 100% validate that he is a very humorous person and has a great, great personality. It's such a pleasure talking with him. He is truly just a fantastic person. And also he was an amazing player too for Winnipeg. Yes, he was. Yeah. And another guy who was funny was Charles Roberts in his own way. And I had kind of a unique rapport with, with Charles and, he was not funny where you'd laugh out loud, but he just kind of, he had little quirks about him that I thought were were funny and interviewing him was a great delight. I loved interviewing Charles Roberts because you never knew what he was going to say. And uh, he was a charming, a charming dude, a little standoffish with a lot of the media and uh, a little quirky, as I say, but uh, he was, he was very entertaining, Charles, on and off the field. <laughs> In your entire career, calling games for the for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers since 1974 who would you say was the most talented quarterback that Winnipeg has ever had well I think it would have to be Dieter Brock uh in the 70s and and early 80s he played the longest uh of the ones that uh when Kari Jones had his two or three brilliant years man and nobody had a, a streak like him uh but it would have to be Dieter Brock he he was uh Man, he could throw that football like nobody that I saw before or have seen since wear a bomber uniform or even play in the league. He was just a dynamic passer with a great arm and as tough as an old boot. He got beat up some years and it was just beyond reason that he could keep playing and just bounce right up from some of the hits he took. So, yeah, he'd be my guy at quarterback. 100%. He as well played in the NFL. I think he played... In a Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, I think in, in no, he didn't get to a Super Bowl, but he played for the LA Rams and they they got into the playoffs. He had a pretty good year, uh, and then the injuries caught up with him. And he was in his 30s when he went down there, but uh, they went pretty far in the playoffs that year. I can't remember exactly how far, but uh, he showed to everybody that he could play down there. A hundred percent, and I think that there's a lot of players in the CFL that have shown that in the NFL throughout history. And sometimes sure. fans down in America might not give as much credit to guys that play in the CFL as they should, because yeah. there's, you see some of the more recent names like Alex Singleton with what he's been able to do with the Eagles and yeah. Cameron Wake. And I mean, Dave Onyemata didn't play in the CFL per se, but him coming from CIS going to NFL and dominating with the saints, like people shouldn't sleep on players that come from the CFL or that come from Canadian university sport, because there's so many amazing ones. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And so the final question I want to ask you is what is the greatest regular season game that you have ever called for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Oh boy. (laughs) Um, The greatest regular season game. Well, okay. So this would be, and off the top of my head, and now we're, we're talking about, uh, I'm not approaching a thousand games, but uh, somewhere in the 800 range. So you understand, first of all, it's hard to pin down to one game, but one of the, there's two games I'll never forget, regular season games. One was in Edmonton when Milt Stiegel cut that pass on the last play of the game, the 105-yard touchdown that gave them the sort of the win out of nowhere. Uh, that moment is indelibly etched in my mind, partly because we were in a bar after the game, some of us in the media, and Doug Barry, who was the coach then, came into the bar. <laughs> he was on cloud nine. He couldn't believe they won that game. I still remember we laughed with him for the rest of that evening. And then another game involving Milt Stiegel. It was the one where he broke the CFL record for career touchdowns. It was at Winnipeg Stadium. And I have never, and I've heard over the years, the stadium's been loud on many, many occasions, and IG Field too. 
but I've never heard the stadium as loud for as long. And you could actually feel the stands moving with the fans cheering and chanting for Milt after he set that record because there was such a buildup to it. Uh, and everybody knew he was going to do it in that game. And that's just a, a moment, again, that uh, that I will never forget. Absolutely. And those two plays are so iconic. Yeah, it, like really the, the, the the three major plays I think for Milt's career that always stick out of my mind are are the one one thirty uh, one thirty eight that broke Mike Pringle's record. Number two yeah. would be the touchdown catch or the catch and run ninety two yards that broke uh, Alan Pitts's record, and then the one the hundred yard catch on the final play of the game in Edmonton. Just those three are so spectacular, and they always just make me smile like crazy whenever I watch them because I can't help but just feel so excited for what it meant to have had Milt Stiegel be a part of your CFL organization. Like there's like the class of the league and the greatest receiver that there ever was to have played in the CFL. And it's just, it's so amazing to know that he was a part of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers organization. And still as popular here as he ever was. It, and Milt comes back periodically, comes back three, four, five times every year. And uh, when I think of all the great bombers we've had, Milt is, he's, Kenny Plain is often talked about as the greatest bomber of all time, uh, but Milt uh, is still recognized by fans and held in very high regard by everybody. There's no doubt about that. And if we're going to create our Winnipeg Blue Bombers Mount Rushmore, that'll give room for Kenny Plain and for Milt Stiegel to both yes. be beyond because they both deserve their their due respect and with that yep. bob i want to thank you for being on today's episode so much it was an absolute joy to talk blue bombers football and to to understand and get to dive into the history of the team and all the great games that you've covered and many of the great players you've had the pleasure of interacting with well i feel very fortunate to have been doing this for as long as i have anybody who gets a chance in our business matthias to do play-by-play is lucky and i've been lucky for a long time enjoy talking with you i always love talking bomber football it'll never grow old Well, thank you for listening to today's episode with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers from CGOB 680, Bob Irving. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Touchdown. Milt Stiegel. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time. Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients like homemade, but better. G2G Bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G bars. You will taste the difference.